Good morning again. If you can, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of St. John, chapter 12. We're going to be reading um, verses 27 and 28, and then we'll talk about it. If you're there, let's pray, and then um, we'll see what the Lord has reserved for us this morning. Father, I thank you that uh, we can get together here in this place and look to behold your glory, to adore and cherish and treasure your Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Through your Spirit, we can worship you in truth. It is through Jesus that we can come to you because we possess nothing that we can offer you that is not tainted by sin but thanks be to Jesus who paid it all who has made us white as snow and we can stand in your presence father we long this morning to rejoice in you to rejoice in your presence so we ask that you send your Holy Spirit in our midst and that you do a great and mighty work in all of our hearts and minds and affections and hearing of the gospel and understanding of the gospel. Let us see Jesus and love him more than we ever did. It is in his name that I pray. Amen. The time of this passage is the week of our Lord's crucifixion. The shadow of the cross is being cast upon him. He's marching rapidly to a brutal death. He's approaching the cross, and starting on verse 27, we read, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Blessed be the reading of God's holy word. May he add his eternal blessing upon it to his people. The highest aim of the cross of Christ is the glory of God. The greatest display of the glory of God is seen in the substitutionary death of the Son of God upon the cross, dying in the place of sinners. Dying a brutal death in the place of sinners because He had no sin. He did not deserve to be punished. But he took the punishment of God against sin in the sinner's place. This is the chief aim and the highest purpose of the cross of Christ. Of Christ coming to this world. Holy Scripture says that the, the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. 
This is not plan B. Throughout eternity, before history started, before creation, the eternal plan of God was that He would redeem sinners to Himself through the death and resurrection of His one and only eternal Son. It was to bring glory to the Father, regardless of the high price that it would cost Jesus. His aim was to bring glory to His Father. This is how Jesus understood the cross. It would be the supreme means by which the glory of God would be put on display to a dying world a sin-broken world to see. And it would become that which would bring the, great, the greatest praise and great glory to God. That's how Jesus saw the cross. How could He shrink back from it? So as He approaches the cross, He says, what, what, what would I say? Deliver me from this? Save me from this hour. It is for this that I came. Our purpose, Father, is coming to fruition. And this theme of the glory of God continues throughout the Gospel of John, really throughout the, the, the whole of Scriptures. Chapter 13, verse 31, when Judas leaves the room, it says this, When he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. And this, this speaks specifically about the cross. Jesus is about to die, and He's saying, I am glorified. Now, Jesus had not yet been glorified. He is in humanity. He is about to be murdered, betrayed, Killed while he's innocent. He, hasn't, he hadn't ascended to glory yet. He wasn't resurrected yet. But he's speaking in this, in this eternal now of this has been the eternal plan of God. And now I am glorified. This is it. The eternal Son of God is saying, now I am glorified and God is glorified in the Son of Man. As Jesus approaches His death, His chief concern is not to be delivered from His affliction, but what is in the forefront of His mind and affections and soul and heart is the glory of His Father. In John 17, when Jesus offered the high priestly prayer, what is His petition? It's John 17, 1. He says, Father, glorify. Father, glorify Yourself. Glorify Yourself. He doesn't ask for plan B. He doesn't ask, let's get out of here. I, I'm not going to do this anymore. He does not 
change his mind, but his petition is for God to be, to be glorified. His ultimate and major concern is that God's purity of character would be displayed, not only through his life, but through his death and in his death upon the cross as well. Jesus desires to make known the weightiness of God's eternal being. God's glory or His manifest holiness and excellency of His character would be put on display to a dying world on the cross. Those are thoughts that we can't even start to fathom the depth of them. And they speak loudly to real life in this world. This should be encouragement to us for us to meditate on the cross and the eternal plan of God as we go about in this world, as we follow Jesus. Just a few verses earlier, He said, follow me. Follow me, you'll be honored. Jesus is going to the cross. He's going to His death. And He's saying to you and me today, follow me. The Christian life is not really a cool life. The Christian life is not a hobby. Christianity is not a superior, is not merely a superior set of moral values that we pick over others. It's not to be picked because it's cooler than other belief systems. But Christianity is a miracle that transforms your desires and affections and makes you a whole new creation where you now behold, you see the glory of God and you love it where there was duty before there is joy now. Where there was enmity and strife against God, now there's fellowship and love for Him. Where there was war, now there's enjoyment of God's true, eternal, sovereign, beautiful nature. And all of God's attributes are seen when we stop and look at the cross, we see them magnified. It is the greatest display of the glory of God. There's so many things that we can do in this life and lose sight of the great message of the cross. Don't get me wrong, behaviors are great and we should pay attention to our behaviors and exercise self-control and look to delight and enjoyment of God in everything that we do. But that will not happen if we lose the message of the cross. If we stop meditating or beholding the Son of God upon that cross... When you go 
through your life, and life hurts, because it is our common experience that in this sin-broken world, pain and suffering are very present. Is it not? If not in our own lives, in the lives of those whom we love, in the lives of those who are in God's providence put in our path, if God in His mercy chooses to give you compassion for even those whom you don't know, and your heart aches for the poor, and the sick, and the widows, and the orphans, there's pain. I feel like it's not a point that I need to labor for too long. But if the cause of all pain is sin, and it is, the cause of all suffering is sin. In a world without sin, there is no suffering. And that's what we can look forward to when Jesus wraps up history and He restores heaven and earth. And His whole creation is restored and sin is punished and cast out. There will be no sin in His presence and there will be no suffering, death, crying or pain anymore. We can look forward to it. But if the source of all pain is sin, the solution for all pain is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The old message of the cross. That God sent His Son to live a perfect, holy life in joyful obedience and trust and dependence upon His Father and the power of His Holy Spirit. And He lived that perfect life on behalf of sinners who otherwise would not be accepted in His presence. And He took the punishment that those sinners deserved upon that cross. And on that cross, He did not endure only the betrayal of His beloved friends, the abandonment of His family, who basically said that He was crazy. He did not only feel the betrayal of Israel, the ones He came to save, when they said, Crucify Him! And the emotional pain that that had caused. He did not only suffer, his back turned into jelly by a wicked whip. And being punched in the face and having his beard plucked. That was not all that he suffered. And that in and of itself is more than we can bear. But he suffered the emotional and spiritual pain of the unbridled wrath of God unleashed on him. Full power. 
his only his own beloved father whom he had experienced fellowship throughout eternity this loving relationship in the eternal godhead at that moment upon the cross he heard his father saying i hate you cursed be you on our behalf he did not deserve that at all because he's perfect he has never displeased his father he has never disobeyed his father he has never disagreed with his father he never had an affection that was not equal in level intense depth or object that was different than what his father had but at that moment god treated him as a piece of meat upon that cross as the worst sinner you can imagine so that he could bring many sons to glory for who are we that he should be mindful of us what is man lord that you should be mindful of us that's what the prophet says Why would he bother to do that since he is eternal in all of his perfections and perfect in all of his eternality and holy and has no need God in the Godhead is both loving and loved eternally does not ever need any of us because he is good he has decided to set his affection affections upon us and redeem us and transform us and change us you need in this life to not lose sight of the eternal plan of God that culminated upon the cross and has bought the sanctification not only eternal life after we die but sanctification big word for making us more like Jesus in character in delight in obedience joyful obedience to his father before we stop breathing in this earth on this earth It is the plan of God so whenever life hurts do not be guided by your circumstances I'm not saying deny your pain pain is real and God has given us his revelation that brings us comfort the message of the cross that brings us comfort God has given us the church brothers and sisters that stand in 
the trenches with us, that are in the battle with us, that seek to bring relief to our pains. And when that is not even possible, we together, hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, to shoulder to shoulder, we stand together and we weep together if there's nothing else we can do. I have been comforted by brothers or sisters that didn't do much other than hold my hands. Sometimes there is nothing to be done to bring comfort. But one thing we can always do is to stand together and cry together and say, you know, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. God does not call us to deny pain. I said this last time regarding following Jesus. God calls us to a hard life. Life in this world is not easy. But a hard life, according to God, does not mean a joyless life. You don't have to be weakened by hardship. For the joy of the Lord is the strength of His people. Let me remind you once again. And this is why I chose to stop in these two verses only. Do not lose sight of the message of the cross. Do not be guided by your circumstances. But have this eternal mind. This mind that keeps in focus. Okay, this life may be painful, but it's temporary. This is not going to be like this forever. This will change. And this is part of an all-wise plan of God. The Bible, and, and this might seem like a random thought because it is a random thought that came to me about five minutes ago. Uh, the Bible presents, presents Jesus Christ in, in, in Hebrews as the forerunner. Hebrews 6, verses 19 and 20. Jesus is a, a forerunner. This is what it says. Uh, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. That's the holy, the holy uh, of holies. No one would enter there. Just a high priest would come in there and represent it. the people of God. Make intercession for the people of God. Would kill, uh, um, slay a, a spotless lamb, and then the the, the blood would be sprinkled on the, uh, on the mercy seat. And that sacrifice on behalf of the people of God would be the one, the basis of by which God would accept His sinful people. That made a, a covering for sin, a temporary covering for sin. It was a shadow of Christ who was to come. Okay, The one spotless lamb that would make atonement for our sins once and for all. So then the Bible calls Jesus, where Jesus, behind the curtain, the Holy of Holies, Holies is where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If you have any questions about Melchizedek, ask Joe. Um, 
we, we were talking about the book of Hebrews uh, at home group this week, and we said, I think Joe preached 84 sermons on Hebrews, and the message is one, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better. And I can only imagine Joe every week, week after week, going, okay, Jesus is better, how do I say it differently? <laughs> so, yeah, we did miss you. We talked about you guys at home group. Back to the text. I told you it was going to be a random thought. So, um, okay, back to the pulpit. Here we go. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. See the word anchor? It's related to the concept of a forerunner. This has to do with a picture that, that, that has to do with uh, a, a boat, a ship, would approach the shore. I cannot go very close, of course. And then as the boat is approaching the shore, if there's a storm, a smaller boat... As the ship approaches the shore, a smaller boat would be uh, on the water, and then one guy, the forerunner, would get the anchor and go to shore, and then over there, try to get the anchor tied or to an anchor place, and make sure that the boat would be, that the ship would be secured by that one anchor. Now, everybody that is on that ship, they're still vulnerable to the, to the storms. They're still vulnerable to the winds. But that one guy is the one that is securing them. The forerunner is securing their ship so that the ship won't sink. The ship won't drift away with the wind. Jesus is said to be the one, the forerunner. He has secured us in the Holy of Holies. So how does that speak to the hardships of life? When you're going through that, when you're going through pain and trouble and affliction and tribulations, you remember that in Jesus, if you have cast all of your cares upon Jesus, if you have trusted your soul in His hands for your eternal salvation, for your eternal joy, you are on that ship. And Jesus has anchored you to the shore. No matter what winds come, the boat won't drift away. He is strong enough to tie that anchor really tight. So when the winds hit you, remember, you won't drown. If you are in Jesus Christ, you cannot drown. Sometimes you might even feel like, I want to drown, I want to go. Sometimes the Christian life seems to be too long. It feels very long, doesn't it? But remember, be encouraged that this message of the cross, on the cross, Jesus Christ accomplished, bought, Purchased, anchoring your soul to the ship of salvation. And if you tell yourself that once, and your soul still doesn't believe it, tell it to your soul until it does. Tell your brother or sister, I need to hear the gospel. Tell me once again. Tell me to repent. And then you do it again and again and again because it is the Word of God that revives our souls. 
Amen? Amen. The greatest display of the character of God and the greatest revelation of the glory of God is seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. Not in miracles. That's not the greatest display of the glory of God. Not in providence, which is a great display of the glory of God. My gosh, I was, I was working on Friday. I had, a few things, I had a lot of things going on and I had this thought, it must be exhausting for God to, to run the universe. Because there's so much going on. My goodness, I'm moving a few pieces around LA and I'm beat. I'm... <laughs> and God runs the universe? He's in, he's in charge. He's intimately involved like we heard last week. In even feeding the birds that are flying all around the globe. He's intimately involved in providing for them and us and everything that happens and how everything relates to everything else that happens and then cause something else to happen. I mean, my brain can't, can't even... I can't even say it right anymore. But even that, the providence of God, is not the greatest revelation of His glory. Although... It does reveal His glory, His sovereignty, His all-powerful, right? The greatest revelation of the glory of God is not even creation. And that is glorious. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. In Romans 1, the Bible says that there is no excuse. God does not believe in atheists. Because everything that can be perceived, His eternal character and holiness, has been demonstrated, revealed. It can be perceived on the things or through the things that have been created. But even that is not the greatest revelation of God's character, God's glory. The cross of Christ is the greatest revelation. It's the pinnacle of history of God's eternal attributes. Now the cross, if it is understood correctly, is wonderful. It's great news. But the cross presents us with a problem that only an all-wise God can solve. You and I could not for. With men, it is impossible. Who can be saved, Lord? With men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And that's the problem that we see in the event of the cross of Christ. That God, a holy God, cannot fellowship with sinful men. A holy God cannot be friendly with wretched men who hate His holiness, who stand in opposition and enmity against His beauty. We see that men, by their own merits, cannot stand in the presence of God, cannot find acceptance by a holy God, for what have we to offer to this God who created the universe and gives us the breath that we, the air that we breathe? 
Why would He accept us in His presence when we use the very breath that He gives us to rebel against Him, to blaspheme His name, to choose other things and put in His place. The place that He rightfully deserves has ultimate affection of all mankind. He deserves that place. But in the garden, the first Adam made a horrible choice. Here we see the second Adam making the right choice to glorify God and to depend upon Him and to love Him with all that He has. And he made, he made that choice on our behalf. Jesus' joyful obedience is given to us if we believe this message. If and when we believe this message of the cross. Sinful man cannot achieve God's favor or acceptance by anything he does. So now we have a problem. A just God cannot let sin, cannot let sin go unpunished. Another concept I feel like I don't have to labor too much on it because who wants an unjust God? The being that rules the universe to be unjust. I don't know about you, but I don't want Hitler to go unpunished. It is wrong. Now, if God decides that he's just, oh, I'm loving, I'm going to let him go. If a judge does that in L.A., we'll have riots. You will be very indignant if a, just, if a judge just says, no, you know what, I'm merciful, I'm going to let him go. He's a murderer, and yeah, but that's okay. I'm feeling really, really merciful today. I'm just going to let it go. Well, excuse me, what about the family, the families that had their lives, their lives altered forever because this person made the choice of shoot, shooting people at a movie theater? And I wish this was hypothetical. It is not, unfortunately. But can we agree that that just would be wrong in letting a, a murderer go? Now, somehow it causes our affections to be stirred in a rejection way, rejectful way, when we talk about God punishing evil, evil doing and evil doers. Somehow we want to claim that God is a loving God at the expense of His justice. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man cannot abide, dwell together. Because darkness hates light. The Gospel of John, the one in, in which we are. This great conversation that Jesus had with this theologian in chapter 3, Nicodemus, right? One of the top theologians of the nation. 
called by Jesus the teacher of Israel. In, on, on, in verse 19, Jesus says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. Sin is darkness. Sin loves darkness. Darkness hates light. 1 John 1.5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. This is the problem that is presented to us on the cross. So Jesus comes along as he is marching to the cross, to this horrendous treatment by man and by God. He's saying, that's why I came. This is for this hour I came. And it's, it's really cool that he's going to go on to say, this voice came for your sake, not mine. When God speaks to him, confirms, God testifies in Jesus' behalf, speaks from heaven. He says, the voice came for your sake, not mine. This is to assure you, not me, because I know that this is why I came to die on that cross. And it's amazing to me that Jesus Christ, our example, his first petition is, God, glorify yourself. Now, I come from a different background, uh, meaning I wasn't brought up a Christian. Um, and one of the doctrines, the main doctrine of this, this religion I was involved with, uh, called Spiritism, it's um, that Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, does not equal God. He's not God, He's the Son of God, as if it's something different from God. Um, and the identity of Jesus, according to this particular religion, is that um, He's not an eternal God, but He is an example to us. And that's about it. He is not the eternal God. Now, this is a teaching that comes from the Bible. We are told to put on the mind of Christ, to have this mind in us that Jesus was humble, that Jesus, even though He was God, He did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. It's mine, I'm not going to give it up. We are told by scriptures, to follow Jesus, to follow in his footsteps, to have him as our example. But he's much more than only an example. Much more than only an example. I say all of this, maybe it has to do with my background, because I want to avoid this idea that I'm preaching that Christianity is WWJD. Because although it should be part of Christianity... Being a follower of Jesus entails much more than, than a behavior that copies someone. And plus, he's the Lord of the church and the universe. He can do a lot of stuff that I, I don't feel comfortable doing anyways. <laughs> right? Um, but Jesus is going to the greatest affliction he would ever suffer. And 
what, it, what is in his mind is the glory of Christ. Now, we can take that two ways. Either as a, an indictment on us, because how many times do we suffer and hurt? And our greatest desire is, Lord, make it go away. Make it go away. I'm tired of this. It's really long. True? Isn't it very easy to not think about the glory of God in my suffering? Let alone death? I mean, how many of you woke up today thinking, hmm, I wonder by which death I should glorify Christ? We don't think about these things. Somehow they're very present in Scripture. They're present in the mind of Christ, in His affections, in His soul, as He's marching through to the greatest affliction one can ever suffer. He's thinking not of His comfort, but of the glory of God. If we have this message of the cross in the forefront of our mind and affections, that will also be our desire. Not only our desire, but our joy. It is through this message of the cross, of Jesus taking the punishment that I deserved in my place, that God preserves us in the faith. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation. To whom? To all those who believe. As you keep believing the gospel, you persevere believing the gospel, you are being saved. And if there's another tool to persevere, a better tool than the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't think the Bible told us. I don't think God gave us anything better than His eternal Son dying upon the cross on our behalf and proving that His sacrifice was accepted by being resurrected three days later and promising that He will be with us daily until the end of the world. In your pain, remember His promise. Live what is called a promise-driven life. A promise-driven life. Don't lose sight of the promise because it has been accomplished. When Jesus said, when He died on the cross and He said, it is finished, I want you to know that He meant it. In the Greek, it means the same thing. It's finished. He has accomplished it all. And that is the greatest anchor for your soul. Know that it will pass. Know that it will pass. Long for that day when He is going to fulfill His promise and make every wrong right. 
and restore restore everything that has been robbed by rebellion and sin against Him. So He asks, God, glorify Yourself. And how does God glorify Himself upon the cross? There's a few ways. Uh, I feel like if we, if we had written, uh, if we were to say or to write everything that God does, like the Apostle John says, every way in which He glorifies Himself, it would not be able to fit in all of the books of the world. But I do have a few ways uh, that I want to share with you. That first one is that God glorifies Himself in the cross of Christ by saving sinners. We, apart from Christ, are completely helpless and desperate and unable to even see God. According to Jesus in John chapter 3, if you're not born again, same conversation with the same theologian, if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, dead means dead. Not wounded, not able to hear, but not see. Dead means dead. And, and Paul, St. Paul, chooses that word you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he chooses that word to convey a certain spiritual state of deadness. Everybody knows what a dead person is, what a corpse over there, unmovable is. It cannot do anything, cannot hear, cannot feel, cannot see. And he chooses to, to portray our spiritual state by giving a very familiar image Dead, that's our state. That's our, the state of our soul apart from Jesus. But God, being rich in mercy, quickened us or has made us alive. Now, all of the action is done by God. He has made. We're just dead. Static. God comes and makes us alive. We are dead at the bottom of the sea. Helpless. And through the cross of Christ, because of the cross of Christ, instead of casting us into hell, He can come and give us life. Life that was purchased. Redemption that was purchased by Jesus Christ upon the cross. And He comes and saves us. Jesus Christ, the one and only spotless Lamb. The one perfect man who lived and died perfect. The one who lived the entirety of, of his life in perfect and joyful obedience towards God or to God. The one who loved his neighbor perfectly throughout his life. He received the full blow of the wrath of God against sinners in the place of sinners. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. That's First Peter 3, verse 18. He, Christ, who knew no sin, was made sin, so that in Him we could become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 
on the cross, Jesus receives our sin, and because of the cross, He receives our sin and the punishment for our sin, and because of the cross, when we believe that He did this for us, and that He actually loves and cares for us, and we take His commandment and His invitation of all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. When we believe that message and we come to Him and then we believe Him and we love Him and we see Him, we are given His righteousness, His perfectly, His perfect life and love for God, Jesus Christ. You know the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, mind, and strength, with all you got, with all of your being, all aspects of your being. Love God above everything. Jesus obeyed it throughout his life. There was not one moment in his life where he broke that commandment. Can you even wrap your mind around it, wrap your head around it? Because we don't have that experience. I mean, we, we cry and we bawl and we experience a good quiet time. Like every once in a while, it seems like God decides to show His nearness in a way that He hasn't in months or days or weeks. And we're like, wow, that's what it feels like. I miss this. And that's a fellowship that is this small compared to the fellowship Jesus enjoyed with His Father. Jesus has not, never broken a commandment. And there's this exchange that because of the cross and on the cross happens. The greatest exchange ever. He gets our sin. I get His righteousness. And now I can stand in front of God. And now I'm not, a, I'm not even a servant anymore. You know, it's like, it's not that I'm not an enemy anymore. I'm at war with someone a lot bigger than me. It's not even that. Now is that through Christ... He has brought us into the family. Adoption. He has predestined us to adoption through Christ. Ephesians 1, 5. But it all happened here. So now I'm family of God. So I'm saying all of these things because as life hurts, as there's tribulation, trials, pains, you know, uh, bad mood, you know, whatever it is, you can be assured that Whatever's happening, even if you don't know what's going on, it is not wrath. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to think that because you sin, and let's talk about just the sin of not having enough affections for God, which I think we can all relate. You don't have to fear that because your heart has been cold, okay, God's punishing me. Even though He's my Father, He's just punishing me because I haven't been a good boy. I haven't been good enough. Well, guess what? You are never going to be good enough. You will never put God at your debt. You will never behave in such a way that accomplishes or, or buys God's favor towards you. Did you see what cost God to make you accepted in His family, in His presence, in the Holy of Holies? It cost the life of His Son. Good luck trying to improve upon that. But you don't have to fear. Because the second way that, that I want to share that God 
uh, um, that God glorifies Himself in the cross is that God in the cross upholds His justice. We spoke briefly about it. We do not have to love a God. We do not have to worship a God and serve a God and obey a God that is either just or loving. Because if he, let the crim- if he lets the criminals go, he's unjust. And frankly, that's not a very desirable God. Why would I want to love a, a God that is unjust, that lets crime just go unpunished? It's hard to love someone like this, to worship Him with all you got. Correct? Yeah. His love is not unjust. At the same time, when He is being just, He is being love. We have a problem that we cannot solve. The problem of being accepted in His presence. The problem of a holy God that desires to forgive sinners. In the cross, both His love and justice are present. And we don't have to choose either one or the other. But this problem can be solved only by an eternal, omnipotent, all-powerful, loving, just God. All-wise God. All-wise God. If God is the one who upholds the universe by the word of His power, if He is the author and sustainer of life, if He is the one who gives us breath, to forsake Him is the greatest evil there is. To not love Him with all we got is evil. To pledge our allegiance and love ultimately to something else other than Him, to something created, or an idol as the Bible calls it, It's evil to reject Him, the source, fountain of eternal joy, and go about drinking, trying to fulfill your needs and and get joy from created things. It's evil. To blaspheme His name is evil. To treat His name as common, as a cuss word, is evil. To not revere His name that reveals His identity and character and holiness is evil to reject the rest that He gives for our souls, that He offers and invites us to come to His rest, to enter His rest, to reject that offer that cost Him His life is evil. To disobey all of His commandments is evil. Lying, cheating, stealing, murdering, that's evil. And God being just cannot and will not let crime go unpunished. He is perfectly loving and perfectly just. And both are present in the cross of Jesus Christ. Where He punishes sin, His wrath is unleashed against sin in the person of His Son, But at the same time, He does it because He loves us, because He loves His glory. We see it in this text that Jesus regards the glory of God even above His own personal comfort. He loves His glory. He upholds His glory. He upholds His justice. And He loves 
us. It's not a way by which he shows his glory. God glorifies himself on the cross by demonstrating his love. My six-year-old son in Sunday school, talking about the love of God, he flips through his, through his little illustrated Bible, he finds a picture of the cross, and he says, this is the love of God. Theologians may devote their life to this message and never get to the bottom of it because it's unfathomable. The depths of the riches of the glory of God is wise God. But at the same time, this message is so simple and understandable that a six-year-old can say, right here, he loves me. Jesus upon the cross John 3.16, we all should know. For God so loved the world, He loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. He loved this rebellious, sin-broken world. People of every tongue, tribe, and nation, he loved us and He gave His one and only Son so that we shouldn't perish. So that we could get His love instead of His justice. Because His Son got His justice on behalf of all those who believe. Same Gospel, chapter, 13, chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this that someone lays down his life for his friends. It's Lord Jesus saying, Lord Jesus calling us friends, the eternal God calling us friends, our great God and Savior, as Romans 9, 5 says, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, calls us friends. There's only a way that that can happen. And that's the cross of Christ. Romans 5, 6 through 8. And, I, and I'll wrap it up. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross of Christ reveals the glory of God, upholds His justice, reveals His love the cross, the message of the cross is the anchor that keeps you from drowning, from shipwrecking your faith. It is the message of the cross that Christ died in your place that encourages you when you feel weak, that gets you up in the morning, that accomplishes the redemption of our souls 
Keep the message of the cross. There is no greater message than this. You don't move on to a deeper message as you grow in the Christian life. There is no growth apart from the gospel. There is no deeper thing than the message of the cross. And it is the message of the cross that will bring us to glory, that will bring us to that day when Jesus Christ Himself will restore all things. And from then on, we will live in a sinless, sin-free world. And 500 billion years from now, it will still be the same glorious God upholding the same sin-free world with as much joy as you can possibly experience. It is this message of the cross that upholds all of these things. And it is in this message of the Son of God who died for our sins that we should bank all of our hopes. If that is not a reality in your life, I beg you to come. To come. There is no greater joy than to know Him. There isn't. There is no more joyful eternity than eternity in His loving, gracious, joyful presence. Amen? Amen. So, Let's pray. Whoo, Lord Jesus, I love you. I love that you have done all of this for us. I love that you have accomplished the redemption of our souls. That you and you alone could solve our predicament and you did it. Not because you had a need, but because we did. I love that you uphold the glory of God, His justice, and you show us his glory in loving us upon the cross. Thank you for giving your life for us. Lord, I pray that this message would transform hearts this morning, that we would not be the same. Oh, Lord, renew us, transform us through the renewing of our mind. Let us go deeper. Let us understand you. Understand this message in deeper levels. Let it penetrate our hearts and affections. Let us love you more and live like it. It is in your glorious name that I pray and I thank you. Because you are a good God. You are the anchor of our souls. Thank you so much for everything you do and will do in our lives. And all God's people said, Amen.